to me. But, <laughs> Perfect. That's better. What fact. you're saying is you're not arguing. With yeah. No, I'm. I'm not. This is just a sidelight. Okay. <laughs> and when it said he meant to pass by them, could it be? But when they saw him walking on the sea, did he mean to not have them notice? Did he mean to, um, you know, meet them somewhere else? But so. That could be. Yeah, I think that could. Yeah, be. I don't Maybe know. They didn't. Yeah, that's right. That's. I think like a lot of people don't know. So, it could have been that too. But then you know we we do think about just we read about in the five thousand Jesus's compassion. You know, he did have this true inward compassion for his people. That's right. I wonder, too, at this connection, the loaves, because, and I know I'm maybe jumping a little ahead, but the conclusion of this section, Mark has us reflect on the, the connection with this text to the feeding of the 5,000. It sure does. At right. verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves, right. but their hearts were hardened. So if you go back to verse 41... I hope I'm not overreading the text, but for your consideration. All right. So he takes the five loaves, two fish. He looks up to heaven. He says the blessing, breaks them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Then they did not understand about the loaves. Mm-mm. So were they thinking, I mean, I wonder if this is like, apart from me, you can do nothing. And they don't realize it. And so he sets to show that by, I'm going to separate myself from them. I'm going to pray on the mountain and send them. They're going to be in futility. And then as I pass them by, they're going to realize that apart from me, you can do nothing. You couldn't have distributed. You can't get across the lake. Now that I'm with you, the wind stops. You can. So I don't know, to consider. I think that's it, really. That has to be it. I I think that is it, clearly. Yeah, Paula, that's good. But I remember first coming down to live in Southern California, and I'm on the freeway, and I'm thinking, oh, it would be really dangerous in a jungle. But you know what? I think it's more dangerous on this freeway. I'm inches (laughs) away from death if I think about it. But God is, you know, watching over me. Because I could have been killed so many times. (laughs) Compassion, compassion. That's right. Good. I think that is the right take on it. Right. And taking it almost for granted that we're, you know, not appreciating that we're being protected. Yeah, that's right. That is true. I think that's, I think this is the, be- the best thing we can come up with this on. He meant to pass by them. So I did think it was funny. Belts, this is one of the strangest sentences Mark Gospel, but. So we'll go with past. I think uh, Pastor Rody should write a little article on that, and we can <laughs> supplement yeah. supplement the commentaries on that. Oh, very nice. Okay, so then this happens right in verse forty-eight. He meant to pass them. Okay, so then what happens? Uh, what do they do here? We see um, forty-nine. Somehow they see him, okay, but when they saw him walking on the sea, isn't this interesting? They thought it was a ghost. That's what his phantasma, Pastor talked about. And they cried out. So, I mean, what a superstition overwhelmed the disciples at this point. They were terrified because they thought they saw a ghost. 
And actually the Greek is this phantasma, which is, can be translated as an apparition, ghost, spirit, or phantom. Okay, So they see what they think they see, one of these apparitions or a ghost or whatever. And why? Because, I mean, this is a super power act of walking on the water, walking on the sea, untouched by the wind, touched by the spray or the waves. They, they see this, no, no man can do this, so then it obviously throws these disciples into a panic. But certainly we see here again, this is Jesus' divinity showing it's manifest, right? So no other human being could do this, so it's got to be a ghost, but no. I just, find, I just find it strange that they couldn't recognize that that was Jesus after all that they've seen, right? We've talked about so much going on. Um, the ghost story here, <laughs> as you're relaying to it, this is, it seems kind of funny that they, they, they think he's a ghost, and it's the same thing when he's resurrected. Remember? They think he's a ghost. So you almost feel like they've been around too much Halloween costumes or something because (laughs) this is twice they're doing that, you know. Yeah, very superstitious, yes. That's funny, that does come back up, doesn't it? It This resurfaces again. Good catch on that. Yeah, I bring the mic to here. Well, I wanted to add, too, with the, this last sentence, they didn't understand about the loaves. I wonder if it's partly, it, like, they saw this miracle, but did they, they didn't see it as a miracle. They kind of just took, well, this happens, you know. I, and I think about C.S. Lewis relating miracles to the creation of God, and we take it all for granted because he says, look at what happens. You take some dirt, a seed, some sunshine, and some water, and you get this beautiful fruit and trees and all this. And this is God's creation, which is miraculous in itself. Right. But then and we see a miracle that happens in a minute or less. Mm-hmm. And we think, oh, that's a miracle. But not what is surrounding us. Mm-hmm. We don't appreciate how fabulous it is. Mm-hmm. Right. And clearly, that's the disciples. Remember up to this point how much we've talked about the miracles he'd done. And recall a couple weeks ago when we talked about Jesus sending out his apostles, he also gave them authority over the clean, unclean spirits. So they even had some of this. So this is all going on. They come back and they still don't see this. That's right, yeah. And I will cover it more here at the end about not understanding about the loaves as well. It's all placed together nicely. But clearly they don't see. They think it's a ghost, okay. So then what happens next on on, on verse 50 here? But what happens then? Uh, So they, for they all saw him and were terrified. Now, isn't this interesting? This is another thing that keeps coming up with people. So the first time we talked about this, this, these terrifying, recall in in chapter 4, this is another time when the disciples remember it's Jesus calming the storm. And, and in verse 39, he, Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then Jesus said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? 
And then they were also even more filled with great fear and said to one another. So we see this, this continuing fear. We saw it then after, then the next in chapter 5, when Jesus um, uh, sent out, remember the man that had the legion of demons and, and sent those, all those demons out into the pigs? And then when the villagers came back in and they saw the man sitting there, what happened? They were afraid. So we see this. And then Jesus, right after the story of the, the healing the man with the demon, when we had the woman with the, that was bleeding, for, and then Jairus' daughter, remember when the woman touched Jesus, touched his clothing, and Jesus said, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. So we do see this. So fear is really generally a sign associated with this divine activity that's going on. Of course, we see it here. And then what happens then after they, they saw him were terrified? But then what does Jesus do? But immediately he spoke to them. It can be translated, he spoke openly to them. So here we see Jesus really seeing a public a declaration of his true identity. He's speaking to them. But what is he saying? This is great here. He says, take heart. It is I. It is I here in the Greek. I want to talk about this a minute. It is I. The Greek construction of it is I am. It's the ego I me. We've talked about this before. Ego I me is I am. So what Jesus is, is, is doing here, remember in Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say that God tells Moses, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Okay, so let's think about that. Yahweh, God is Yahweh. That's just actually a verb that means I am. And we see Jesus then referring to himself throughout all scripture. Um, there's a bunch of them. I'm not going to go through them. But we know all the I am the bread of life discourse, right? We know all those I am. That's that still ego I me. And then in John, when the Jews confront Jesus, they say, So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up the stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple. So the Jews correctly understood what Jesus was saying, referring to his divinity, talking about this I am. So I think this is important, this ego I me. So he says it here, I am. It's ego I me. It goes back to the name of Yahweh. Now remember, Jesus' name actually comes from the Hebrew term Yehoshua, which actually means Yahweh saves. So it's this name stuff. It's all connected here. But that's what Jesus is saying. The Greek here, when he says, spoke, take heart, it is I, really the construction is, ego I me, I am. So a cool reference to that about who he is. He is Yahweh, I am. And because of that then... Since he's able to say that, he's able to say, what, verse 50 there. He says, I am, take heart, I am, could be a reference to the Yahweh. What does he say then? Because of that, do not be afraid. 
away with these superstitions, okay? I, your Lord, the I am, I am the I am, whose voice you know so very well. Stop fearing, end it permanently, because I am, I'm Yahweh. In the flesh, stop fearing, do not be afraid. Interesting, this happens again after the resurrection in uh, 16.6, although it's not Jesus, but it's a similar echo here. At the very end of Mark, 16.6. So we see here, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, they came back on the first day. After looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And what does he say to them? He said to them, do not be alarmed. Do not be afraid. So we see this. This this is the ultimate do not be afraid, right? When Jesus is resurrected. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Do not be afraid. Isn't that wonderful, that tie in there? So we'll see that again there at the end. So don't be afraid. So then what happens? Although before I want to go to that, let, let's do talk. So there's a little bit more to the story that Mark doesn't record. Let's go to Matthew real quick, Matthew 14. And I don't want to get into too much, but we, I know we've heard more of this, you know, of what happens before Jesus gets into the boat, I know this will jog. Go to uh, Mark, Matthew 14, uh, verse 27. It's on 1612, your study Bible. Okay, so look at uh, Matthew 14, 27. You see the same thing, but immediately Jesus spoke to him saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. But then Matthew adds this, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid again. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Okay. So that's a little extra. I don't know, I don't know why uh, Mark didn't include that, but he didn't. But Matthew gives us the rest of that story. Okay, now with that context, we can go back into um, the Mark's version there. So after Jesus says, do not be afraid, we know of what happened with Peter through Matthew. And then we see in verse uh, 51 there, Jesus got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. So without any effort, Jesus stepped into the, the, the quiet boat. I think we can assume that Peter was with him, obviously, and stepped in the boat too, even though Mark doesn't reference it. And then the wind stops. And look, look at kind of the intimacy of this act. Despite being the Lord of all creation, Jesus really comes to his frightened disciples as a shepherd to his frightened sheep. Kind of similar to the shepherd motif we talked about. And Jesus feeding the 5,000. Of course, before it says the wind stopped at once, I think that's obvious. This is another sign of Jesus' Jesus's creator lordship over nature. Um, 
the wind stopped clearly at the will of Jesus. It's true divinity on, on full display here. And then they were utterly astounded. 651. Utterly astounded. So the effect caused now by these two miracles back to back. Jesus walking on water and, and, and the wind stopping. Well, it's actually two miracles, right? If you really think about this here. Number one was Jesus was walking on the water. That's the first miracle. And now we see a second one that the wind stopped at the will of Jesus. So there's two. So now they've seen both of these. This kind of overwhelmed the disciples. They're utterly astounded. Which then leads us into this kind of last, kind of little confusing here in 652. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So this is, they did not understand the things with respect to the loaves of bread and the 5,000. Again, same as here as then what we can see what happened in the 5,000. The disciples do not understand that Jesus is Yahweh, come to bring the new exodus to his people. And they did so in both the feeding of the 5,000 and now here, but especially when he multiplied the loaves of bread and the 5,000. But what Mark's point is, is saying this, is that they, if they did not get the point about Jesus when he multiplied the bread, it will not be apparent to them now who Jesus is and what his mission is, even when he walks on water. They just did not understand their hearts were hardened. Can be translated, their heart was in a hardened condition. We've heard this before, right? The description of the disciples has a, as a heart of heart has, has parallels throughout the Old Testament. Israel was described by both Moses and Deuteronomy and by, and by Yahweh, also in Deuteronomy, as a stiff-necked people. And then Ezekiel takes it further and it describes them as having a heart of stone. Okay, the hardened heart here. But what Mark is not saying, though, he doesn't have in mind about this unreceptiveness of unbelief like found in the scribes or the Pharisees, but really the unresponsiveness of the little faith in the disciples. So it's not exactly what he was accusing the Pharisees of, but just this little faith in his disciples. Because of all that they have heard about Jesus, surely they should have understood more than they did. What the disciples lacked was the clarified understanding of the heart, which expects Jesus to act as the Son of God in all things, and is thus delighted to see him act that way, and as a result, they are no longer amazed. That's what Dr. Veltz writes about this, about the disciples, and they're not understanding and then the study note, I think, does a pretty good job of concluding. Demonstrating mastery over the winds and the waves for a second time, Jesus calms another storm. Even more amazing, however, is the fact that Jesus' disciples still tonight recognize his divine nature. Too often our eyes are also blind and our hearts are just as hard. It's a good thing, therefore, that he who walked on the water that night also died in Calvary's darkness to save us from our hard hardness. So, any thoughts? Let me follow up. If you, we got. I can't, I don't understand the part 
Okay, I just can't, I don't know, understand the part that it says their hearts were hardened. Why does, why does, you know, do their heart have to be hardened? Is it because of lack of faith, because they yeah. don't want to believe, or because they just, just simply don't understand? Does that mean that it's... I think that's right, yeah, I think that's what the commentary is. Pastor may have a... Follow up, but that's kind of is that, yeah, is that about the yeah, consensus? It's just their 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 lack of faith, their little faith. Yeah, I think that's what he's saying by their their hearts were hardened. It's continued lack of faith in who this man is, who this you know that this is Yahweh in the flesh. I think that they're still, and I don't think they know this until after Jesus is crucified. He dies, buried, and he's. He's arisen. Do they really get to this full understanding, right? Yeah. All the way through through the, the gospel text, we see this. With, it's not until after his resurrection that they really get who this man is. And I think that's what Mark is saying by their hearts were hardened. Any follow-up? Anything else anybody has? Chris? Well, the thought occurs to me that um, in the same way that uh, sort of a generic kind of spiritualist uh, Jesus was a wise teacher kind of attitude, it's almost like they were sort of under their own version of that. Like, well, he's very wise, and sometimes he's very powerful, but they just didn't really get who he was yet. I think that, that nails it right on. Absolutely right. They don't get his full, def- complete divinity, right? That he is... True man on one sense, but yet true God. That's right. But isn't some of that it was also their learning? Because it says when he asks, who do you say I am? It says, you are the son of God. So they're learning that as they go. So some parts they don't pick up right away. And you can see that, you know, like you said, after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus. So I think it's a, it's a learning process. You, you come to Christ, but you don't know everything until... You walk a little ways. Yeah, I think that's a great point. That's right. That's good. Mm-hmm. All right. Any other thoughts on that? If not, why don't we see if we can get to this next next section here? Then what happens next? So the we see this next section. It says Jesus heals the sick in Gennesaret. Starting with verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at uh, Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people in their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. A lot of similar themes, right? We're going to see through this. Okay, just briefly, real quick to, to summarize. Recall, then then at the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had sent um, the disciples to, where they were supposed to go to Bethsaida. But then what happens is, obviously they, they got off course and went to Gennesaret. We don't know. I've kind of read a bunch of stuff on this. Was it because of the wind or was it Jesus' 
real plan to end up over here. That's probably the case. But Bethsaida, as I've kind of talked about before, this, this and everything over to the east side was Gentile com- country, even up through Bethsaida here. And anything pretty much from the center of the sea over to the west would be um, Jewish country. So they end up back here in Jewish in, in the Jewish area. And we're going to see this more as I talk. Maybe I'm not getting into today. But so anyways, this is where they're now. They've, they were off course originally, and now they're over in Gennesaret. So when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. Of course, the crossing was made by boat. We know that. We, Jesus entered the boat mid-lake. And as I said, uh, it, it, Gennesaret is in Israel. It's not in Gentile company. So uh, we're going to see, though, as we get farther into Mark, that then this is kind of the end of the the um, Jewish kind of ministry. And then it, and later in chapter 7, then we're going to go, it's going to be more on the Gentile stuff. So, And that's actually when we get into the next thing, talking about the tradition and the commandments, and then we'll see the Seraphimation Roman woman. So it's kind of the last here. So again, the first half of Mark from beginning... Uh, to then where Jesus walks on water, kind of really is coming to conclusion then with this small section that characterizes Jesus' ministry and as, as it is developed to the people of Israel. So this is kind of a last cap where then we'll see it start spreading out here. So, and then we see this in 54, when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. This shouldn't be you know, surprising. We've studied, of course, in my, Mark, how his popularity has become such. The moment he gets off the boat, Jesus has recognized it. There's no indication that Jesus has actually been to this city before anywhere. But the people, obviously, they know who he is. is as you know, word travels, traveled quickly. We've seen this before with all the crowds. So as soon as he gets out, word travels facts. They know who he is. And then in 55... So then the people then ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. So as soon as Jesus is recognized, the people see this as a great opportunity for what? For securing healings. So they send out, one commentator says, says when they're running out, they ran about the whole region. They sent out runners who kind of took the message out through this small territory to tell people, hey, we got to bring the sick in. So they, bring, they do begin to bring the sick to Jesus. We see this in 656. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might, that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. So see, we see that Mark shows us Jesus is not just in one central place there. He's moving around, possibly through villages, cities, and countryside. Now this is interesting about the marketplace. So the surest way to get the sick people to Jesus was to place them in the marketplace, where I guess where, where Jesus was passing by. I think that that's meant, what's meant by it. That's, that's the, the route where Jesus would be walking. So they bring these people to a place where they know Jesus would walk by. And then this, um, the sick people, um, so that they could touch the friends of his garment. So 
I think assumedly these people had such trust had such trust in the healing power of Jesus that they would ask him not for him to touch them, but simply that the the sick could touch Jesus. And of course, we saw this. Remember when Jesus healed the bleeding woman in the story of the bleeding woman and Jairus's daughter. Remember she. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. We'd have, and remember we recovered that. That was considered highly appropriate. We talked about what Jesus was probably wearing, that shimlaw that had the four corners on it, and they touched it. So that happened with the woman. She touched Jesus. He's healed. Um, it says also, and as many as it touched it were made well. We've talked about that many times through a number of these. What that means is the Greek word sozo, to be made, to made well. Remember we heard Mark, uh, Jesus telling both the woman and, and Jairus, your faith has made you well. That's kind of a saving element. Sozo has a wider sense than heal. It includes rescue from sin, death, the forces of evil, and all that is opposed to the gracious reign and rule of God. All right. So that's that's kind of, this section then kind of brings a close to the Jesus account of his main public ministry to the people of Israel here. So chapter 7 then, and I guess we can get into a little bit of chapter 7, uh, begins with this specific discussion of what is clean and unclean. Because fall. This is followed by Jesus' deliberate and sustained move to minister to those without the law, those traditionally considered to be unclean, which is the Gentiles. Now this is where we're going to move, move now as we go forward and mark. So why don't we jump into this? We've got a, a little bit more time here. Why don't we go ahead and try to tackle this first section, maybe 1 through 13, which Jesus is now talking to the Pharisees and talking about traditions and commandments. But any other questions or any follow-up on Jesus healing the sick? That really didn't add much. We've seen a lot of that before and a lot of those themes in our study. Okay, so now this traditions and commandments, we're in verse or chapter 7 now. It really at first kind of blush here, this section kind of seems a little alien and out of place. It just kind of pops up. So it's really, it's, it's a long discussion on purity. And what is this kind of doing in this action-packed, kind of we've had a lot of gospel healing and all this stuff. So it's, import, it's really important because we're going to see now, it, Jesus is really providing a commentary on human or Jewish tradition. Okay, and it also is going to set the stage, really, for his mission to the Gentiles. So he's going to talk here uh, to, to the scribes and the Pharisees, and then we're going to take him all, this, this will go on into the Gentile stuff, um, which we'll see how they're connected together. So why don't we look at, uh, let's, let's do 7, 1 through 13. I may not be able to get up on it, and Pastor can obviously uh, pick up on it. So Let's look at 7, 1 through 13. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands, holding to the tradition of elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, 
Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written? So now Jesus is really going on the attack. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things do you. All right, now, so now Jesus kind of is, is on the attack, right? So now this is taking place still in the same area, kind of, uh, in, at least in the region of Galilee, um, which is just kind of this whole uh, kind of northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. Well, actually, it goes all the way on the west side. So this is clearly, clearly... Um, uh, the lands of Israel, okay, he is clearly in the Jewish area. And we know this because if you see him in seven one. now when the Pharisees gathered to him, so, and the scribes come, so we know that this is in, um, in Jewish area in Israel because the, the scribes and the Pharisees would not go into Gentile lands. So there's no question that this is, this is in the Jewish area. So the Jewish leaders here now, what is this? I mean, you can see maybe it's some kind of investigation committee. There's an investigation going on. So you see there's, he, Mark talks about the Pharisees and then some of the scribes. So the scribes were also Pharisees, but then this, the, this set of scribes, the commentators say that they were selected on account of their, 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 their high learning. You know, they were, they were very educated men so they could kind of match Jesus. I think they were selected. So the, the locals here were the Pharisees, but I think the scribes actually come from Jerusalem. Now recall that the Pharisees were the Jewish sect or that party which laid utmost stress on the strictest outward observance of the law, including even more of this, this rabbinical tradition and regulations that are come by man. They were utterly self-righteous and cultivated a formalism that was flamboyant, showy to a degree, especially in observing ceremonies, fastings, almsgiving, long prayers, tithes, etc. And what we see here is Jesus ex- exposing the, them as errant hypocrites. And as, as I said, the scribes then were the professional students of the Old Testament and were admitted only to this group of this fraternity after rigorous examination. So this present delegation, I think we can say it's safe to say that they had come really to spy on Jesus and to take him on, to discredit him even with his own people, and also to find cause to bring legal action against him. So here it's really beginning, okay? They're going after him. So what do they do then in verse 2 here? They saw, this is the scribes and Pharisees, saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So now with their own eyes, they're seeing this flagrant violation of the tradition of the elders. So this hands that were defiled or unwashed, 
Um, it's, it's a defiled hand. It's actually, in the Greek, it could be, it's, it's opposed to God and what is holy. Or it's not in fellowship with God and with his people. And as you can see in the LSB note on 7.2, I think this is right. So when they're saying that, that their hands are defiled, unwashed, it's not so much an issue of hygiene, but of ritual observance, Okay. I think it's not doesn't dismissing the hygiene, but I think the focus is on the ritual observances that were going on here. And then in chapter in, in three, then explains it more. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to what the tradition of the elders. So again, many Jews were attempting to follow these strict scribal and Pharisaic understandings. When Jesus, when it says here, when Mark writes the tradition of the elders, um, these washings before dinner were part of this authoritative tradition to which these Pharisees really clung. And this tradition was really the body of practical rules handed down to them by following the generations that preceding him. These traditions then were compiled. It was called the Talmud. It's this book, which is the central text of the Rabbionic teaching, which was all about their oral tradition. And then a subsect of that was the Midrashim, which is all kind of compiling this oral law that had been created by the tradition of men here. So this is what we're talking about. So it's, uh, it's kind of above and beyond. It's this all that's been added by man. And then in verse 4, and when they come... When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So when they come from the market, of course, they wash their hands. Why do they do this? Again, it's not only for sanitary purposes, but it's for this, this idea of ordinary cleanse. It's this Levitical Kind of looking at the book of Leviticus and this contamination. So what they're doing is they're cleaning in case their hands had, had brushed a Gentile or anything that the Gentiles touched or they had touched anything that was ceremonially unclean. So what's going on here is, is the, 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 we see as the disciples are disregarding this, uh, this tradition because the tradition was considered by the Pharisees is binding by the conscience, by divine authority, binding it even more severely than the actual written word of God. And on that, we'll see that more um, as we get into it on what's going on here. But I think that would probably be a good time, good place to start. And if Pastor could kind of pick up there in a couple of weeks, because there's no class next week, right? But then it'll be the next. So, all right. I think I've used up the time. The Lord be with you. Oh,